in the womb, the heart is the first organ to form well before the brain. The heart forms first so that it can send oxygen and nutrients across a growing embryo. There is an ancient presence of the heart like a wise sustaining elder in the community that is our body from the time that we are in the womb of our mothers. Peace and abundance, y'all. Welcome to the Creation for Liberation podcast, where we express wisdom to decolonize creativity, mindfully care for ourselves and our communities, and incite an inner revolution for outer transformation. I'm your host, Chetna Mehta. And as a third culture kid, artist, and wellness facilitator, I work with brown and black women and women of the diaspora to reclaim our creative inheritance and to actualize and embody our most aware, aligned, and connected selves. My guests and I will ignite you and invite you to make, move, and manifest your liberation for a world of compassion and connection, one creation at a time. Peace and ease, lovely people. Here we are with episode seven of the Creation for Liberation podcast, this time on my heart not my mind, is my master. Starting ritualistically, per the use, with inspirations lately, I want to share an important reminder that I've been exposed to through the people around me recently that really helps ground me. Even in the midst of a literal, unprecedented war going on right now, even amidst the continuation of a global pandemic, of a continuation of institutional racism and trauma and pain and divisiveness and detriment to our planet more and more and more. It's so overwhelming and so scary and makes me very easily want to numb out to all of it. And the reminder that I've been finding inspiration in, because inspiration is always accessible to us no matter what. As long as life is existing, there is inspiration. As long as breath is existing, there is inspiration. To inspire means to breathe life into. And what's been breathing life into me is the reminder that how I show up, even to those around me, especially to those around me, matters. How I show up with those around me who I have access to, the love and the peace and the freedom that I share is activism. And it has the power to reverberate and impact and weave a web that's vaster than what I might even think it to be. So if you, like me, have been feeling heavy-hearted, overwhelmed, uncertain as to what actions to take, I invite you to call up a few people in your life, maybe those who you haven't spoken to in a while, maybe those whom you just spoke to this morning or last week, and let them know your love and appreciation for them. Ask them how their hearts have been, what they're dreaming up lately, what inspires them, where they're finding hope and peace and ease in their lives, how they are caring for themselves in the best way they know how. Be willing to be in their worlds with them. And it's within our direct access and activism. I know I'm going to. 
So before we get into the juicy juiciness of this episode, I want to share with you something that Mosaic Eye offers that maybe you're aware of and maybe not. We work with organizations interested in offering their people engaging experiences that share practices for stress management, creativity, innovation, play, motivation, compassionate self-care, and intentional connection. We've seen time and again that a consistent investment in the wellness of an organization or institution's individuals boosts talent, motivation, contribution, and collective cohesion. We stand proudly with organizations that prioritize uplifting the humanity and well-being of their people. Recently, we worked with Research, a nonprofit doing global work to realize sexual violence. We worked with them to do a series of workshops in connecting even through transition as they were going through leadership shifts alongside the socio-political climate of a lot of transition and unknown. Marisa, who was the executive coordinator, shared their experience about what it was like to partner. Through these workshops, she said, Chetna guided us through different aspects of transition that went from personal to our collective work and more broadly connected to the spaces we occupy and the practices we have embodied in our daily lives. We enjoyed the pace by which Chetna guided us through the various themes, holding space for everyone to participate at a level we were comfortable with while ensuring active listening in the group. We explored different practices and methods with a diverse cohort of feminists from various countries to come together through a series of five workshops focused on connecting mindfully through transitions. We look forward to working with Chetna again in the future and continuing to build on our collective journey. I had such a great time working with Research, which is an organization very much in alignment, and it was such a privilege to work with feminists from countries like Costa Rica and Mexico and the UK and Kenya, Sri Lanka, India, all in one space together, even virtually, to share stories, to get in each other's worlds, to understand various aspects of the lives, the rich lives of each person in the space. So if you're interested in bringing an engagement with Mosaic Eye to your team, your group, your institution or organization that is in alignment with our mission to cultivate self-awareness and creativity in community circle, reach out. We can schedule a call just to talk and dream and vision and see what the needs are what the hopes are, and we can go from there. In this episode, we talk about the heart's capacity and ancient wisdom to be treated as a master of our lives. We also talk about the normalized tendency to treat our minds as the master instead of a servant to our overall well-being. So let's talk about heart intelligence. One of the strongest threads uniting diverse cultures, religions, and spiritual traditions throughout the world and throughout history 
has been the heart as a source of love, intuition, wisdom, and courage. Expressions like put your heart into it or learn it by heart or speak from your heart are quite familiar, all suggesting an inherent knowing that the heart is more than a physical pump that sustains life, as if that isn't in and of itself so powerful. These expressions reflect what we often call the intuitive or spiritual heart. Throughout history, people have turned to the intuitive heart, also called their inner voice, soul, or higher power as a source of wisdom and guidance. In yoga, the Anahata Chakra or heart chakra is the home of the whispers of our soul. The subtle vibrations of Anahata, which in Sanskrit means unstruck sound, governs our ability to feel our emotions from joy to sorrow and to extend unconditional love, forgiveness, joy, and compassion to others and ourselves. Anahata is the fourth primary chakra and is a bridge between the lower and upper chakras integrating our primal and our spiritual. Ancient Egyptians considered the heart to be the center of thought, emotion, and all other nervous functions. The heart as an organ was so important that it was left in the body at the time of mummification to ensure its availability to be weighed in determining the salvation in the afterlife. The most important death ceremony was the weighing of the heart, where the person who had recently died would have their heart weighed to see if it was heavy or if it was light. If someone's heart was heavy, they would never make it to the afterlife and they'd be stuck in the underworld forever or they would just disappear. If a heart was light, the person would be able to go to the land of two fields, which was a place full of joy and happiness, where they would meet their loved ones that had died before them. Ancient Egyptians felt that the heart was more important because it was the only part of the body that knew what a person was feeling and thinking and the good or bad deeds that they had done. While our minds could always rationalize ourselves out of rightness or wrongness with its negativity and confirmation biases, the heart always knows. Scientifically and in the womb, the heart is the first organ to form well before the brain. The heart forms first so that it can send oxygen and nutrients across a growing embryo. There is an ancient presence of the heart like a wise sustaining elder in the community that is our body from the time that we are in the womb of our mothers. The heart is not just a pump. It has its neural network or a little brain in and of itself. Dr. Andrew Armour in 1991 discovered that the heart has a little brain or intrinsic cardiac nervous system that's composed of approximately 40,000 neurons like the neurons in our brain, such that the heart has its own nervous system. Communication between the heart and the brain is a dynamic, ongoing, two-way dialogue with each organ continuously influencing the other's functions. Research by the Heart Math Institute shows that the heart communicates to the brain neurologically through the transmission of nerve impulses, 
It communicates biochemically via hormones or neurotransmitters. It communicates biophysically through pressure waves and energetically through electromagnetic field interactions. Communication along all these conduits significantly affect the brain's activity and the heart's messages to the brain can affect performance, how we act and behave and show up in our lives. Heart intelligence, according to the HeartMath Institute, is the flow of higher awareness and the intuition we experience when the mind and emotions are brought into synchronistic alignment with the heart. When we are heart-centered and coherent, we have a tighter alignment with our deeper source of intuitive intelligence. We're able to more intelligently self-regulate our thoughts and emotions, and over time, lift our consciousness and establish a new internal baseline. In other words, we develop an increased flow of intuitive information that's communicated to our mind and brain systems, resulting in a stronger connection with our deeper voice. I'd like to share with you a special human named Alyssa Smaldino. Alyssa is an anti-racism organizer, facilitator, and coach committed to transforming harmful systems and building grassroots power. She draws on her multifaceted experiences in global health, public administration, and community organizing to form connections that enliven imagination and foster healthier futures. You can learn more about her work and read some of her writing through the links in the show notes of this episode. But here's what she has to say about her heart and body intelligence and keeping her mind in servitude rather than in masterhood. I've been allowing my mind to be in service to my body and heart rather than be the driver of my experience by honoring and respecting how much work my mind has done for me. When it is in the driver's seat, and it has been the majority of my life, it's effective and it's helped me to become who I am. And yet I know that my body has so much wisdom to offer me at this point. And um, rather than shaming my mind for the struggle that it sometimes enters when I ask it to be in the passenger seat, I appreciate it and um, reminded that like we can, that my mind and my body, we can be in partnership and work together. And just by taking a seat in the passenger seat doesn't mean that it's not appreciated or relevant to the decisions that I'm making. Relatedly, giving it a new role. I see my mind as a conduit for deeper connection to my body and my heart. Chetna has often shared with me the noticing is the work. And when I notice my mind taking over, asking a lot of questions, especially questions that start with why, why would this happen? Why did this happen? Why would they act like this? Why would I do this? If I notice those questions coming up, it's a sign that my mind is trying to take over the driver's seat and I offer it a new role. When I notice that's a creation of space to do something different, 
If I notice my thoughts asking why, it's an opportunity for me to pause and to breathe and to try and change my environment or change um, something so that I can drop in. But without noticing that mind's activity, then I can't do that work or I can't notice the opportunity for being in my body more deeply. And so the role of the conduit um, is a new role that my mind can take up. And also when someone's in the passenger seat, they can rest. Um, Centering my body has been about using touch to really ground me in the sensations that I experience to remind my body that it is okay and it is um, normal to experience sensation when thoughts and feelings arise. Um, Using my breath to let my mind disconnect a little bit. And also, it's been helpful to expand my vocabulary around feelings and sensations, whether it's using the feelings wheel or a list of body sensations that I got from decolonizing nonviolent communication. Both of those tools have helped me build language that supports me in giving permission to my mind to rest because there's a lot of work that we can do as body, heart, spirit, without the mind driving us. These and other practices have opened up so much space in my life, space to be present in conversations that would otherwise be really challenging. I notice that when tension or disagreement arises, while my mind has the instinct to go into problem-solving mode and find a solution quickly, These practices have helped me be present and really give myself permission to take time in moving through what comes up. And in that, it also is like a permissioning for other people that I'm in relationship with or in communication with to slow down and to build new language and awareness with me. It's not uncommon now in my relationships for one or both of us to say, oh, I noticed the inner critic coming up. Let me take a walk and come back to this conversation. All of that has supported me in building deeper self-trust. When I'm listening to my body and listening to my heart space, putting them in the driver's seat, I trust myself or I'm getting to know my intuition better. And that's supporting me to be more authentic to release the armor that my mind so often has built up around me into authenticity, even if that looks messy or confused or quote unquote imperfect. And through that authenticity, I've become more trustworthy to myself and to the people around me. And also again, created space for others to lean into their authentic selves. And that creates a cycle of support and mutuality that I think we need to do our collective potential and to move toward the freedom that we all deserve. If our bodies know the value of heart intelligence and communication portals between our heart and mind are biologically wired within us, 
Why are we so disconnected from our body wisdom? And is there even a need to do a podcast like this? Unfortunately, yes. Let's talk about the socially and colonially valued practice of hyperintellectualization. Hyperintellectualization is the habit of trusting the monkey mind as a master. It's the tendency to try to figure everything out, to know the answers, to ruminate and percolate and think and overthink again and again. Maybe you're familiar with this. I know I am. It's easy for me to get stuck in thought, running on the gerbil wheel, but going nowhere. My thoughts sometimes trigger me. They take me out of reality. My mind makes up whole-ass stories about someone or a situation that seem rich and robust and true. And staying here on the gerbil wheel of thought in the cage of my mind keeps me feeling safe. It's safer to envision a whole-ass conversation with someone I'm in conflict with, for example, than to actually have that collaborative conversation and see where it goes. That's far too unknown and far too scary. I'd rather just think about it. Hyperintellectualization is a safety strategy. Our minds can somehow and sometimes feel like a safer place to be than with the uncertainty of the future and the world itself. After all, our minds are doing what it was wired to do, to problem solve and imaginate and make sure that we're safe. Our minds, and I don't really have to say this, but I want to acknowledge it here, are incredibly powerful. Our minds are world building. It could be a world built like the metaverse, or it could be a world symbiotic with the earth and its dwellers. Our mind is what distinguishes us from all other species on this planet. That's clear. Ain't nobody invalidating the power of the mind. But when do we use that power abusively to ourselves and those around us? When does that power take over the other sources of ancient power and wisdom that are equally valid within us? This tendency of hyperintellectualization is also perpetuated in our culture. It's normalized, and it's common to overthink, to be disconnected from our bodies, even to scoff at the word intuition or the invitation to listen to your heart. Hyperintellectualization is a form of colonial mindset. It's a result of human rationalism, which says that if we can't scientifically prove it, it's simply not true or valid. We went into the history of human rationalism briefly as it relates to colonialism in the last episode about the freedom in not knowing. So if you're interested in nerding out about that a little bit more, check it out. But not only that, hyperintellectualization is reinforced today. In most schools, young people are expected to sit still, ignoring the instincts and needs of their bodies in order to quote-unquote learn better. We get well-trained to work nine-to-five jobs where we're doing more sitting and ignoring the instincts and needs of our bodies in environments that don't honor emotional intelligence enough. If we're not working in a nine-to-five, we might still be trying to adhere to the levels of productivity that a nine-to-five job produces. We might be dismissing what our bodies are saying during menstruation or during certain seasons of our cycles that call for slowness or rest. In our day-to-day decisions, we might choose what is logical or sensible as opposed to what feels right in our hearts 
which in its simplicity can be rather confusing and seemingly insignificant to the verbosity and rationalism of the mind. In this way, treating our minds as the master of our lives may be severely limiting us and harming our bodies. Here's another lovely human whose voice I'd love to share here as well, Kayla Parr. Kayla is a South Asian and white educator, mentor, artist, and adventurer. She finds joy in moving her body in and with nature, cultivating collaborative communities of care, and deepening her practices of liberatory healing. She is a PhD candidate in school psychology and seeks to co-create healing spaces that affirm the authenticity of the youth of color and families who she partners with. Here she shares more about how she's given space to her body and heart to be her master. When I picture myself a couple months ago, I see someone that was lost, confused, and detached. At the time, I was feeling deeply dissatisfied with my life, especially in my relationship to self, in my partnership, and in my PhD program. I was stuck in the gerbil wheel cycle, rationalizing all of the reasons why I could not and should not change the status quo of my life. I was fixated on figuring out the quote, best way to be in partnership or be a PhD student or even care for myself. I thought if I learned the right things and consume more knowledge, I would find my way to fulfillment. And I remember being in a one-on-one consultation with Chetna and her offering, you already have everything you need within you. And honestly, I was overcome with panic that I wouldn't be able to access what she was talking about. I didn't know it at the time, but this was my invitation to put my mind in the passenger seat and experience the wisdom of the body. During this time, I had this felt sense that I needed to end a partnership that I had been rationalizing myself to stay in, despite the fact that it wasn't serving my partner or myself. And when I made the choice to end the partnership, I experienced something that I wasn't expecting, which was a deep sense of clarity in my body. My whole being felt so clear. And there was this intuitive sense telling me, you have your power back. And I can now understand what that meant. It meant that I had reconnected with my body wisdom and my intuition. And when I look back at the months preceding the end of this partnership, I can now see how my body had been communicating with me all along the way, giving me signs that something was wrong through its constriction and heaviness and closing off in certain moments. And I had just been ignoring and suppressing and rejecting its wisdom. Even though I had been deepening my practices and breath work and movement meditation and observing the changing sensations in my body, I was so practiced in relying on the mind that I honestly didn't listen and act in alignment with my body wisdom. And when I finally did, I watched it transform all aspects of my life. And the biggest change was in my relationship to myself. By listening to my body, I have been reunited with my intuition. And when I give voice to my intuition, she blossoms. Her deeper knowing guides me to live authentically and values aligned. And in my reunion with her, I feel so connected, held, and trusting of myself. 
She doesn't try to rationalize and isn't influenced by external pressures or judgments, by the need for validation, or by finding the quote, best way, all things that I'm deeply influenced by when my mind is a master. And when I do notice these types of thoughts arise, I do invite the mind to take a step back and I come back into my body. And through my body wisdom, I have also a felt sense of my needs, boundaries, preferences, and capacities more than ever before. And this has allowed me to better care for myself and communicate more authentically and vulnerably in all of my relationships. I notice subtle shifts in my body when I'm relating to someone and I'm not in my integrity. And by noticing these shifts, I'm able to quickly recalibrate and show up as my authentic self, even when it's hard. In my work, I've noticed when I'm working on a project and my body feels expansive and energized, or when I feel constriction and hesitance, which has really helped me figure out where I wanna devote my time and energy. I have changed my relationship to what I say yes to and what I say no to and what I say I'd love to and just don't have the capacity for right now. And instead of experiencing my PhD program from a space of what the institution says I quote, should do, I pursue what feels alive and aligned to me. And even in this space of deep trust with myself, I sometimes ignore my body wisdom and give the mind space for its rationalizing and judgment and avoidance of deeper knowing. And each time I do, I return to a space of feeling lost and detached and confused. And sure enough, when I realign with my body, I feel a sense of groundedness and clarity, which eases my mind and allows it to support me in navigating whatever complex and messy emotions it might be necessary for me to move through. So maybe your mind has been wondering, how the hell do we make our hearts more of a master instead of our minds? How do we align our minds to be in service to our bodies and our hearts? First, we have to notice when the mind is taking over. We have to notice when we're spinning the gerbil wheel, running and running and running in thought, but not going anywhere. We're not going to think our way out of the gerbil wheel. This is where meditation and mindfulness come into expansive play. Being able to notice when we're running the gerbil wheel takes non-judgmental awareness. This is important, being kind with ourselves as we discover how overpowering our minds can be will help minimize the judgment we have of ourselves. After all, the mind is doing what it was wired to do. Practices in meditation and mindfulness give us space to take notice. And a lot of times meditation and mindfulness require us to slow the fuck down. It doesn't even have to be in a seated or still meditation. We can notice our gerbil wheel thoughts while on a walk or while doodling. Even by journaling, we can notice on the page gerbil wheel thoughts, thoughts that are circular and repetitive and trying to fill in the gaps that really need to be acted on versus figured out. To get out of the gerbil wheel, we have to take action. 
To get out of the gerbil wheel, action could look like moving our bodies, creating the thing or writing the piece and allowing ourselves to do it badly, or as creative alum Ray Phillips calls it, creating a gentle draft. It could be having that conversation imperfectly or focusing on someone else in actuality, approaching them with curiosity, again, to be with them in their world. It could look like taking one small inviting step toward a dream, even while acknowledging the mind's obsession with knowing the outcome in advance. When we incorporate our body and our heart into the matter by getting out of the gerbil wheel through our action and our mindful awareness, our mind can find some relief and space to not have to do all the work to try to fill in the gaps and keep running tediously on that gerbil wheel. Rest helps us, even our minds, to return with fresh thought and presence thereby giving the mind some actual space to serve the situation with its power without attempting to take over the situation. All of this is a practice. How annoying is it to hear me say that? I find myself saying that a lot to myself and to folks I work with one-on-one and in group. It's a practice. There's no other way to say it, and if there is, please let me know so I can diversify what I say. But it's something we have to show up to on a daily basis. Listening to our body slowing down enough to feel into our heart wisdom is a practice, especially when we're going with the grain of moving very quickly, distracting ourselves from our bodies, hyper-intellectualizing in a culture that perpetuates and reinforces all of that. And in doing so, practicing this against the grain of what's normalized so rampantly in our society, we have to be very tender and compassionate with ourselves. We have to acknowledge that this isn't easy. It's not supposed to be easy to go against the grain in this way, to slow down, to move at your own pace, to move at the pace of your heart and your body. And so I hope that you may be very kind and compassionate with yourself in this practice. Let it be imperfect. This is a consistent experiment. May you take the time to align your mind to be in service to your heart wisdom, to your body wisdom, and to allow this ancient knowing within you to guide you in your life. If you found resonance with this podcast, go ahead and subscribe and write us a review. This helps us significantly to get the podcast out to more listeners like you. Thanks in advance.